Sometimes I'm tossed, <laughs> sometimes I'm driven, yet we are following the cloud to a city that is promised to us. And uh, this story that repeats itself through millennia, and we are reliving it. And, and for the next three months, we are going to relive that greatest story ever told, the Exodus story, and the, the, the story of freedom, deliverance from slavery, and the journey towards the promised land. Today, we are going to start with the, with the the first, in this first chapter of Exodus, and the story starts, I'm going to tell you another story that happened here, right in our backyard in California. Brooke Bronkowski was a little girl who lived in Simi Valley, and when she was 12 years old, she wrote an essay. It's actually a letter she wrote to herself. And this is what it's, uh, the title of that little note she wrote to herself is called, Since I Have My Life Before Me. 12-year-old Brooke Bronkowski wrote this to herself. I will live my life to the fullest. I'll be happy. I'll brighten up. I'll be more joyful than I have ever been. I'll be kind to others. I will loosen up. I will tell others about Christ. You see, I'll be one of those people who live to be history makers at a young age. I'll be one of those people who go somewhere with a mission, an awesome plan, a world-changing plan and nothing will hold me back. I will set an example for others, and I will pray for direction. That's a dream for most of us, right? We all want to make history. We all want to change the world. Now, Brooke didn't just stop by just writing it. She got a job as a babysitter and she became a nanny to many families, and she saved a lot of money. And with the money she earned, she started buying Bibles, and she will give it to her junior high students. And she will stack them up, and she will share the gospel, and whenever they are ready, she will give them the gospel. That's what she was using, her babysitting money. Now, two years after she wrote this, letter to herself when she was 14 years old Brooke Bongowski died in a car accident Brooke didn't make history Brooke didn't change the world or did she would you stand with me for the reading of the words today? I'm going to read from two verses, two passages. Exodus 1, 15 to 21, first. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew 
midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing? And let the boys live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. I'm going to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11, 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I remember my first day in the seminary. It's actually not, it is a seminary, but it is under University of Toronto. It's like studying university at UCLA or USC, something like that. It's a secular university. And many people say Fuller Seminary across, they are very progressive, they are very liberal. You have no idea what liberal is unless you go to some of these universities. <laughs> so University of Toronto, walk in my first day of seminary, I have never taken a course in theology, walk in the first day, the first class was Old Testament. And it was taught by a professor with a PhD from Harvard University. <laughs> And I remember sitting there and the professor started deconstructing the Exodus story. And the topic was, is Exodus history? Or is, you know, the, the, the coming narrative of Joshua, is, is it really history? So she went on to, uh, with its different arguments and, and her conclusion was, Exodus was the founding myth of the Hebrew nations, which is kind of true because Hebrew nation or Israel traced their history really back to that exodus from Egypt. That's when they became a nation. Before that, the call came through Abraham and then the patriarchs, but at that time, it was more of a family. It was never a nation. Israel as a nation was founded in this process of this following the cloud. This was their founding myth. But her opinion was that the story of Exodus, whatever is written there, is more of a mythologized version of history or historicized version of mythology. Don't worry about it. These are PhD languages, right? <laughs> so 
But I remember sitting there, I was a new immigrant <laughs> uh, to Canada at the time. I'm coming there, I'm going there like Brooke Bronkowski to change the world, to make history. I want to win souls for Christ. I wanted to go to the best seminary out there, paid my money and go in. And this is what I hear, the first class. And I really wanted to raise my hands many times. Excuse me, ma'am, but I was not even good at speaking English. Much worse then, you know, 22 years ago. <laughs> I didn't know. I was afraid of asking questions in the public, and, but many of the things she made, she said didn't make sense to me. All that to say, I have done enough studies on this. I watched as many YouTube videos as possible. The internet scholars and the real scholars all the way from Harvard to wherever you want to go. I have no problem accepting the historicity of the Exodus story as it is written in the Bible. The main reason people have problem is there are so many spectacular things like parting of the sea. How can that happen from our scientific rationalistic framework of the Western world, it cannot happen, that is true. It cannot happen. And all these 10 plagues and the other miracles that happen, if you're trying to look at it from the worldview that we have inherited from the culture, it doesn't make sense. And I sympathize with my professor and every conclusion she made is right because her worldview was shaped by the Harvard University and the framework that was given to her. She was a wonderful woman, which I later realized, but that doesn't matter, but that was the perspective, right? Now, on the other hand, I've never struggled with this because I believe in the supernatural. I have witnessed the supernatural. So I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a struggle for me to understand I don't think it's, uh, it's difficult to articulate some of the theological framework, the, the worldview which I come from, because my experience shapes my theology just like the way her experience or her knowledge shaped her theology. So I want you to say this right in the beginning, because if you don't believe in the supernatural, the Exodus will not make sense to you. If you don't believe in the supernatural, the Bible will not make sense to you. And if you don't believe in the supernatural, you're kind of wasting your time here, really, in a church. I would rather you go and do a PhD in Harvard in Old Testament or something. That's a better use of our time, right? I just want you to, I just want to get that out there because Exodus story is beyond our comprehension. That's why it transcends time and space, and that's why almost 3,000 years later, a guy from India is standing in a stage in America and talking to people from all over the world about that story that happened 3,000 plus years ago, because it is super natural. And even if you don't believe it is a history, it is part of history, it affects our history as we live today more than any other incident that happened in the past. All this Middle East crisis and all these things, and starting from 9-11, we just remembered, all that goes back to the root 
chaos that happened in the Middle East. All that goes back to a group of Hebrew people migrated from Egypt and started or founded a nation. And that's affect our history today as we speak. So you better believe this is very, very significant and relevant. And the historicity of the Exodus story is of paramount importance. Now that brings us the question, what is history anyway? What is history? Because we live in the age of deconstruction in the postmodern world. History told from one perspective is not the same as the other, which is all true. So what is really history? Now history, if you, if you are a historian, if you are a historical critical scholar, history is normally driven by names. History is a narrative, history is an account of people who did things that drove our life an inch forward or backward, depending on where you're coming from. It is a bunch of names, any history class you go, it is a bunch of names written or, or, or kind of plotted in a time-space continuum, a multi-dimensional continuum. Because it, in a history class, who does, when it is done, is what matters the most than what is being done. Ironically, you know, you, have, you must have heard about the, the phrase, history repeats itself, right? History repeats itself, which is so true. <laughs> Because history, there are not a lot of incidents, events that is happening new. You think something that's happening in America, oh my goodness, this is new. The country is going to fall apart. And then the people from the 60s and the 70s, you have no idea what was happening during the Vietnam War. And then, you know, then another generation, you have no idea what was happening in the era of Great Depression, right? And 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, you know, people almost always did the same thing in different ways. History is the same story of conflict and resolution. People did stupid things and create mess, and then we are going to sort out that mess. That's history, really. And it is, that's why I said, who did it? And when it was done is more important than what was, it, what was done. Because what was done is pretty much the same. That's going to repeat itself. It's, a, it's, it's an irony, right? There's a pattern in studying history. That's why I said the names of the people mentioned in a historical record is very, very critical. See, that's why I believe Exodus is history because Exodus starts with a bunch of names. You know, when, the, when people's names are given, you know the person who is writing is very, very clear about what you want to believe. This is, this is real things that happened in real places. If you don't believe me, check it out. That's why they are giving you these names, right? Exodus starts by saying, now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household. The book of Genesis ended 430 years ago where we see Jacob goes to his son Joseph who was a big shot in Egypt and there were 70 of the whole family traveled. That's where the book of Genesis ends. Then after reading the book of Genesis, you flip the page to 
the book of Exodus, 430 years have passed. 430 years passed between the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. Now, the book of Exodus, the writer gives you a framework by giving you these names. Check it out. And these are the names. Jacob, who is also called Israel. You probably know the name Israel comes not from Abraham, but from Jacob. His name was Israel. That's, the, that's really the founding of the nation. And then he gives 12 different names. And I'm not going to read it. You know the names, right? 12 sons of Israel or Jacob. These are the tribal leaders. The tribal chief and the tribal leaders. Here are their names. Very interesting. Very good. That makes sense. Because they are the movers and shakers of the Israel's history. Then it slips to some narrative and then comes the two other names which are only mentioned, which are the only other names mentioned in that first chapter. And their names, as we read, are Shifra and <laughs> I don't know what that means. Something like beautiful or something like that. Who cares? <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> 3,500 years ago, the name of women didn't really matter. Okay? And especially, they were midwives. No, not like the midwives we know today. They are like midwives is like a, like a nurse who didn't pass the registered nursing exam or, uh, or, or, uh, or uh, <laughs> I'm not talking about the midwives today. I'm trying to contextualize this. It's more like a dignified nanny. More like di dignified nannies. That's who they were. Oh, they did a noble thing. I have no doubt about that. They did a very, very noble thing. But I don't care then. Shifra and Pua, it's not like a name I can put for my kids. Or it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter why, why, why their names are given. In a historical record where the names of the movers and shakers should be the one. Now, that makes it even more interesting that I'm reading the whole book of Exodus to find the name of the person I want. Now, that is the king of Egypt. It kept saying, King of Egypt said, and then again said, okay, okay, what's his name? Because it's very important. See, ancient Egypt, Egypt is one of the ancient civilizations in the world, like India, right? Like, you know, they have written records of their, their leaders and the events and all that. Some of them very difficult to believe, you know, it's very difficult to uh, accept the records as it is. And that's why in the academic circles, we have people called Egyptologists. Believe it or not, that's a real job. <laughs> that's a real job. Egyptologists. Their entire life is dedicated to study the Egyptian history because there is plenty of them and they can match and they can corroborate records. It is not like, you know, there are different nations mentioned in the Old Testament. They say Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and I say, what does that even, you know, who cares? Because they don't exist anymore. There is nothing that we can corroborate what happened with the Hittites or the Jebusites and all that. Right? But when you talk about Egypt, king of Egypt, I would really like to know the person's name, please. 
Because then I can corroborate with the Egyptologists what they know about the king of Egypt. Then I can find the historicity and match both and find out whether Bible is actually history or not so that I can reply to my PhD professor from Harvard University. And I'm looking for that name all through the Exodus and I can't find a name. All it says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, as you probably know, is not a name. It's a title, right? It is like saying Portis, Portis, right? President of the United States of America, right? Portis. Say, if you write the history of Lake Avenue Church saying that the new senior pastor was installed on the first year of Portis, okay? And then you write and everybody know, oh, yeah, 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 Joe Biden, right? Like that's a Portis right now. And maybe 10 years from now, they will, yeah, yeah. Remember, you remember that senior pastor was installed on the first year of Portis? I don't know, first year or second year. I, I don't follow, but I'm just giving you an example. But 2,000 years from now, somebody looks at Lake Avenue Church record and they say, a new senior pastor was installed on the first year of Portis. They are trying to figure out, is it Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Barack Obama or Trump? Because it's confusing 2,000 years from now. Because you said Portis. You should have specifically named the person, whether it's Joe Biden or whoever that is the Portis. You know what I'm trying to say, right? So Pharaoh is just give me nothing. It doesn't mean anything because there are so many Pharaohs and they are the, the, the title. So there are confusions about the, about the name of the Pharaoh and because this name was not mentioned, that is one of the reasons this controversy of the historicity of Exodus even exists. So there are two theories, whether you want to know it or not. <laughs> Generally, the conservative circle, the evangelical circle, and including me, believe that Exodus had an earlier date. The two theories are called the earlier date theory and the later date theory. It's very easy, right? The earlier date theory assumes that the Pharaoh who was at the time of Moses was Tetmos the third. Tetmos the third. Not that one. The other. Oh, yes. <laughs> I confused them. I gave them the wrong. I, I switched the sli slide. It's not their fault. Tetmos the third, who ruled from 1479 to 1425 BC, according to which the time of Exodus, the, the actual journey started on 1446 BC. That is a generally accepted conservative timeline. Now, the reason they believe it is that most the third, there are a couple of reasons, because at that time, the, the, that pharaoh had a son who died before he died, his firstborn. Tatmos III's firstborn son died before he could become the king. So that kind of corroborated the narrative in the Exodus where the firstborn sons were, you know, uh, were, you know, were destroyed by the angel of destruction as we saw in the last week. And another reason they believe Tatmos III, his contemporary was a, very strong female pharaoh, and her name is Hatshepsut. I hope I got it correctly. Hatshepsut is a very strong, very famous female pharaoh 
who was kind of a rival to this person and who existed pretty much at the same time. And it is generally accepted that Hatshepsut is the one who delivered Moses from the waters and uh, groomed him up as the prince of Egypt. This is all mere speculations, right? And the second theory is called the later day theory. According to that, the pharaoh who lived at that time is Ramesses II. Ramesses II, as you can see, he ruled from 1279 BC to 1213 BC. And according to this, the timeline of Exodus is 1225 BC. Now that is 200 years plus difference between that. That makes a big difference in a, in a historical study. That kind of challenges a lot of theories. Now this is the problem. If only the Holy Spirit was a little more convincing, if only the Holy Spirit was a little more considerate about historical scholars like us who were dying to know who was the real Pharaoh, that would have solved a lot of problems. And Ramesses happened to be the favorite of the Hollywood, as you know. You know, <laughs> Ramesses is the, is the Pharaoh of Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt. And Exodus, God and Kings, Hollywood loves Ramesses. And Ramesses is, first of all, his name is easy to pronounce. <laughs> but, but also, the reason being, Exodus 1.11, it says the Hebrew slaves were working in a city called Ramesses. That was the camp. So they assumed that the Pharaoh's name was given to that city. So there is a logical assumption to make. Uh, why they concluded Ramesses. This again is another speculation. Just one way to look at things, right? The point I'm trying to make is, why would God, for Pete's sake, give us the name of the Pharaoh and just gave me some two names I didn't even care about. Shifra and Pua means nothing to me. But I wish if it was given specifically Tatmos the third or Ramesses the second or whoever it was, then it would have solved a lot of crises. The reason I'm saying this, I want you to know that God is writing a parallel history in this world. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this very carefully. God is writing a parallel history beneath the surface of what we learn as world history. There is a God's history in which time and space and name are very of different priority. For example, in God's story, if Shifra and Pua didn't exist, or if Shifra and Pua didn't do what they did, Exodus will have only one chapter. Our series would have been very easy. <laughs> it would have been done by now. But what Shifra and Pua did changed the world. It made history by birthing the nation of Israel. In so many ways, these two women are the founding Mothers of 
of that nation. If they didn't dare to do what they did, there would be no history, no Bible, no nation of Israel because that thing they did, as simple as it is, was the most pivotal thing that turned the history of God, not the history of the world, history of God, the God who is writing the parallel history of his invisible kingdom, knew this is more important than Pharaoh who? Who Pharaoh? Who cares about Pharaoh? There are no Egyptologists in heaven. God doesn't read LA Times. Nobody reads nowadays, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, when, <laughs> when, I was, uh, when I was young and I, I always wanted to be in the Time Magazine cover, I'm just being honest with you. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to be the man of the year. One day I will make it to the cover of the Time Magazine. That's what I wanted. But later I realized that God doesn't read Time Magazine. Because God's magazine, see I always want, later I realized it all depends on the editors of the Time Magazine who pick. They have their own agenda. You know, they have their own perspective. This is back in the days before there was this explosion of social media. We had to believe everything the mainstream media gave us. They curated the information for us. They codified, they modified, and they revised, and then they give you, this is the person of the year. Believe in him. He is great. But nobody really cares about that anymore because we have our own information. The point I'm trying to make is, what if, what if Jesus was the editor of the Time magazine? Just give you food for thought. Just think, if Jesus was the editor of the Time magazine, who would be in the cover? Angels will be asking, Biden who? Trump who? <laughs> These are not important for heaven because they are interested in the parallel kingdom which is brewing beneath the surface and there there is shifra and the poor see the world history is written by kings and queens but god's history is written by slaves and nannies nannies yes see in the new testament it's funny luke chapter 16 jesus told the story what we know as the rich man and Lazarus, right? So this is, I'll just read two verses. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 21. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, enjoying himself in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus, was laid at his gate, covered with sores and uh, losing, uh, longing to be fed from the scraps which fell from the rich man's table. You know the story. There is a rich man and then a poor man named Lazarus. Again, who cares? Why can't you give the rich man's name? Technically speaking, he is the hero of the story. That story is driven by what's happening to the rich man, if you really continue that story. 
It didn't really matter whether I knew the poor man's name or not. Well, you know, you could have said there's a rich man and there's a poor man. The poor man did this and rich man did this. That would have made a lot of sense. But the Holy Spirit was very, very, very keen on giving you the name of this beggar who was on the street. And he skipped the name of the rich man. See, we want to understand the way Bible is writing history. See, the, the hero of this story, the hero of this story is an average Joe, <laughs> a minimum wage worker, a blue-collar worker who didn't have a girlfriend, didn't get married, didn't have children, <laughs> and in the end, even his own friends accepted him ended up rejected and being crucified. This is the hero of the story. See, this is the story of the parallel kingdom. This is the kingdom of the nannies and the poor men. And their names are very, very, very important in the, in the, in the history God is making. And I want to challenge you, which history do you want to be part of? See, unless we can step outside from this world history and look at it from the perspective of eternity, we will be drawn into this endless vicious circle or vicious cycle in which we want to make history. And But God in his ultimate never-ending mercy has revealed this truth to us. Jesus said again, like, like, like in the scripture we read, it is hidden from the wise. It is hidden from the people who have a lot of knowledge. It is hidden from the PhDs in Harvard University, and I reveal this to you. It is revealed to you, infants, not even children. You have to be infant because the truth of the gospel has to be revealed. You cannot discover it. You cannot just explore and find it. It will not come as the end result of a research you are going to do. It has to be revealed to you. For that, you have to be an infant. Go to God like that little kid who's kind of making that noise. I love the noise of the kids in the sanctuary. I really love them. I really, I want you to keep them here. That kind of gives us a little more, you know, much needed reminder. We need to be like that infant. Then the true meaning of history will be revealed to us. And Jesus said, Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. See, blessed are the eyes you see, and you are here by a divine orchestration of the Holy Spirit. And today, the true history is being unveiled in front of you. You have given, you have been given a glimpse of the parallel kingdom, the invisible kingdom he is building here. And he wants you to take one step outside from the history you think you are part of and to look at it from the perspective of eternity. See, unless, 
unless we step outside, outside of history, only the one who is outside of history can make history. I'll say that one more time. Only the one who came from outside of history can make history. Only those who have the perspective of eternity can change time. You cannot change time by being in time. You cannot really change, make history by being inside history. The one who came from the realm of the transcendent, the one who came from outside of the realm of time and space and history, he is the one who changes history. And he is the one who invites you to change history. See, it is not Scotus and Portus that make history. Don't be fooled. It is you and I who make history. It is who, uh, it is you and I who change the world because we have been given this perspective of eternity so that we can change the world and we can change time. I'm going to end this with the climax of Brooke Bronkowski's story. I'm reading from Francis Chan. He wrote this great book called Crazy Love, and I'm reading from this. This story was borrowed from that book. This is what Francis Chan writes. Brooke's life on earth ended when she was so very young. But the impact her life, the impact of her life did not. Close to 1,500 people attended Brooks' memorial service, and those who spoke talked of the example she gave others, the pure joy she had for her God. During the memorial, the pastor invited those who wanted to know Jesus to come forward. Close to 200 people 200 students were on their knees at the front of the church praying for salvation. Ushers gave a Bible to each one of these teens. They were Bible that Brooke had kept in her garage in, her, in hopes of giving out to her unsaved friends. On that one day, on that one day, the memorial of Brooks, Brooks' life here on earth. Brooks' testimony led more people to the Lord than most ever will. I'll read that one more time. On that day, the memorial of Brooks, the day she stepped outside history, the day she had a perspective of eternity, the, the day she transferred the realm of her existence, on that day, Brooks' testimony led more people to the Lord than most ever will. 14-year-old Brooke led 200 people to Christ. I am a 53-year-old man. I am the senior pastor of one of the most prestigious churches in America. I don't know if I have that much count, if I ever could count. I shudder at the day I'm going to stand next to Brooke. And I know there's a magazine being printed. She is the person of the year. 
not Matthew, John. You see, Brooke Bronkowski made history. Brooke Bronkowski changed the world. Which history do you want to be part of? Which world do you want to change? Let's pray. Father God, you're going to pray the prayer of Brooke today. We want to live our life to the fullest. <laughs> we want to be one of those people who go to the world with a mission, an awesome plan, and we want to make history. We want to change the world. For that purpose, Lord, here we are following the cloud. And we pray that we will experience the supernatural in our lives. We will experience supernatural in our church so that the journey is being led and at every single minute, we will have the assurance that you and you alone are our leader. You are leading us through. You are taking us through. In Jesus' name, amen.